Welcome back to the Nexodus podcast. We are picking up from Genesis chapter 32. And we see once again, after Jacob had left Laban, be able to make clarity with his extended family as he was able to build, he was able to grow, he was able to find himself as a man. And from this point now, he's moving back towards the source of the blessing, which was the promise that was given to Abram in a specific location. Why was it connected to a specific location? Because everything involves land, every blessing, every fight you see. Right now, you see in Venezuela and Guyana having a dispute over territory. It's because of what? Land. Because with land, there's resources. So we have to understand all over the world, even to this current day, there is land being fought for, claimed, and taken. A lot of the colonialists moved. Why? Because they were trying to get land. So this whole thing is about land. That was the promise the most I gave to Abram, gave to the firstborn of creation. And we have a place, we have a land. And our land right now is under occupation. Our land is under torment. There's so many different atrocities and afflictions happening, whether it be in the Congo, where there's over 6 million people who have been displaced, killed. Why? Because Congo is in the center of the center. It is the most resourceful portion of land in the world, having the highest deposits. So when we fast forward back to ancestral documentation, we can see here that Jacob had to build himself up. He got a family. He has his tribe now. He has four wives. He has 11 sons, a daughter, maidservants, manservants, tons of flocks and sheep and heard the most I blessed him because of the promise he made to his grandfather and to his great, great, great grandfather all the way back to Noah. Noah's obedience was the progenitor, was the beginning point through which Abram was able to solidify. So we see generationally when we're obedient to the father, when we're obedient to his original command and the location from which he will bless you or bless us or bless any nation, you'll see those promises and his glory revealed. But when you're outside of the covenant or outside of the agreement, outside of his the jurisdiction, you'll always run into issues. And that's where we find ourselves today. We are looking for blessings outside of our jurisdiction. But the Most High, by his grace, is beginning to open up the realms and beginning to reestablish. Because in the book of Isaiah, it says that you will become the repairers of the breach the restorers of paths to dwell in, the desolation of many generations, right? So right now you see that there's for generations, for hundreds of years, we look here just in America, it's been 200 plus years of heavy enslavement, disproportionate resources, so forth and so on. But the Most High said he would restore. And how will he restore? You have to go back to Eden. You have to follow the pathway. And in our culture today, we think, let bygones be bygones and let it go. And no matter what happened in the past, you move forward. There is truth to that. However, there are certain things that need to be realigned in order for you to move forward. If you don't know your past, how can you move forward into the future and understand your present? So Jacob understood that principle 
and he was able to close the gap with Laban in chapter 31. And now in chapter 32, we're seeing another flow of where he had to reconnect with his brother Esau. Why? Because when he left, he left on bad terms and he needed to reconcile it in order to be able to get to the place, the location he need to be in, in order for the Most High to bless him. So that's where we are in Genesis chapter 32, verse one it says, so Jacob went on his way and the angels of the Most High met him. So in the spirit, there's always the angelic forces. They're always good flow energy flowing with you when you're walking in abundance and walking in the presence of the father. Now he realizes once again that he's experiencing the father. And that was his backbone to everything that he did. That's what gave him the strength. That's what gave him the courage to move forward is that he knew that the Most High was with him, not only in promise, but that the Most High was sending his divine forces, sending his angels to encamp around him in order to move forward. Now you can understand when David said, he shall give his angels charge over thee to help thee lest I dash thy foot against a stone. David understood these principles because they were passed down to him from his forefathers. And this is one of the forefathers that are beginning to speak from the ancestral documents to let us know that we are protected. And we can see the outcomes of what the angelic forces do on our behalf. Let the world, let others think that we're kooky or this is crazy, but we know that there are angels watching over us and that if it wasn't for the angels or the most high on our side protecting us like he did our forefathers, we would be wiped out from the earth. And in Psalms 83, it says, let's come together, let's be a confederate and wipe them out so that their name be no more. And that has been the agenda in the spirit space. So when you as an Afro person begin to think, why does everyone hate us? Why is everyone against us? Why does it seem like we always get the short end of the stick? Why are we always catching hell? Because you are the firstborn of creation. So in the spirit space, that is significant because the Most High has deposited you with so much. As you can see, just at the tip of the iceberg, the beauty and the contribution we've made throughout the earth and what we've done and how it, we've been treated by the nations. And it seems like everyone turns a blind eye or we're not regarded as human or we're not regarded to be anything worthwhile. That is a spiritual reality that the Most High is combating in the spirit space. And you will see it in the physical realm in this generation. So that's why the Most High is preparing us and getting us ready, realigning our mind, our thought processes to not worry about what the outside world is doing or how they perceive or don't perceive. But we need to tap back into what is the way back to Eden? What is the way back to the land? What is the way back to ourselves so that we can begin to galvanize and maneuver ourselves in a space so that the Most High's glory can be revealed for the nation's to understand how things are supposed to be in the way that the Most High made it from the beginning. So we're seeing a beautiful tread of our ancestors in this space that the angels were guiding him and he was able to discern that. And Jacob saw them and said, and remember, as I always said before, Jacob was operating at a very high frequency as a human being, being from the line of Shem, coming down, understanding the ways of the Most High, things that were happening in that space before the flood, He's after the flood, but the Most High still was gracious to keep that connection to humanity at such a level where they could still see 
into the outer realms or the different planes that exist in the atmosphere. So Jacob saw them and said, this is the most highest camp. And he called the place Menaim, which means two camps. In verse three, it says, then Jacob sent messengers, which is smart, before him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. Because he remembered Esau is a serious individual. This is not, my brother is a man of the field. And you can go back to previous podcasts to help understand the character and who Esau was. Esau killed Nimrod. So Esau was a warrior and he said, hey, I can't just go there blindly. I know it's been over 20 plus years, but I don't know where his mind is. I don't know if he still wants to kill me. I left because of that, but I have to face my fears and get back to the land. I have to trust the most high. And the fact that the angels are with me, I know I'm going to be okay. So we're going to move in two camps now. We're going to move in the spirit and we're going to move in the flesh. So spirit realm don't mean being kooky and just waiting for heaven to come and worrying about things you can't see and not being practical here on the earth. You can't be natural and practical and abundant without understanding the spirit realm. And most of the secret societies and things that are nature, they understand those principles. That's why they have the different types of pledging and all those different things that they do to their gods and to their deities. Same thing, we have to understand how to maneuver so that we can move according to the ways of the Most High. And that is going to propel us in a way that the world has not seen before. The scripture talks about how the Most High has been silent and then he will awaken out of his slumber because we are calling on him. We are getting back to his ways. We are beginning to seek him. He said, anytime you seek me, I will be found of you because you are my precious heritage that I have made from the beginning. I made a covenant. I made a promise to you. And the Most High made a promise to us. That's why we stand out the way we do, because the Most High has blessed us. And for those who are outside or those who have walked away, you can turn back in this time, in this season. This is the time to do so. I had walked away. I had gone contrary, but his hand was still upon me. He will still protect me. He will still keep me in many of my ways where I could have been wiped out. I could have been destroyed. I could have lost so much. But the Most High said, nah, this is my son. I made a promise. I'm going to keep the everlasting covenant I made with Abram to his seed and them forever. And we are a part of that. So in Genesis chapter 32, verse four, and he commanded them saying, speak thus to my brother Esau. And he said it in a very uh, humbling way to my Lord, which was like, I'm your servant, Jacob, and I dwell with Laban until now. I have oxen, I have flocks, I have made female servants, and I sent them to find favor. Then when the messengers returned to Jacob, that was a sign that Jacob was like, okay, we're in a good space. My brother didn't butcher them, but he allowed them to come back. So I see that the Most High is with us and my brother has found grace in his heart and he's not as angry as I thought. I have a better read on the situation. So that was very wise of him to send the servants first just to get a pulse of what was happening. And they came back and your brother Esau, they said, is coming to meet you with 400 of his men. And that was significant. So Jacob was like, oh no, here he comes. And Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed and divided the people that were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into what? Two companies. You see, he received in the spirit that there's two camps. It's me and then the angels are with me. So I'm going to separate my family into two camps. What did our savior say? Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in the heavens. So we are a reflection of what is happening in the 
the non-physical space, or as some would like to call in the metaphysical space, or as some would like to call in the mental space, or the non-tangible space should be reflected on the outside. We do that all the time. We think one way, mindset, and then we're able to execute. Jacob understood that practice. He understood that principle and he lived it. So he was able to maneuver in such a way that he was putting himself in all of the the right positions according to the spirit, according to his conscience, according to his intention, according to his integrity, so that the Most High had so much room to come in and help. And the Most High gave him the assurance all the way from Laban to go back to the land. But he ran into an obstacle and he became fearful. That didn't mean he stopped. He kept moving forward. Jacob or Akobi continued to pursue based on the promise the Most High told him, which was to go back to the land because that's where the promise will be fulfilled. That's where the source of your the blessing is that I gave to your grandfather. And no matter what, I have blessed you. And he understood that. But when he saw the physical environment, 400 men, Esau, a warrior coming at him, he became afraid, but he was able to still maneuver and move forward. So Esau comes, he says in verse eight, if Esau comes to attack one company, at least the other one will be left to escape. So although he was fearful, he still continued to walk in covenant. Then Akobi or Jacob, and if you take off the J, you still get Akob, Akob. Akobi is in Yoruba, meaning firstborn. So you're seeing all this is happening on the continent. He was in Aram where he had all of his family, which is in modern day Nigeria and Cameroon. You can look at the older maps, DaveRumseyCollection.com and look through the old Africa maps. If you want more information about that, I can help you. There's a wonderful teacher who goes into it in much more detail than I do at Bantu International. You can check him out on YouTube and he shares a lot of information from a geological standpoint because he's a geologist. So he was the one who really helped me understand a lot of these principles and is really powerful about the location and where the holy land is or the land of promises or where our holy land is. Others may have their holy land where they say their holy land is. Not even concerned about that. I'm going by what the scriptures have been revealed to me and to us. And that's where my focus is. Uh, so so that you understand the point of view that I'm coming from. Then Jacob said in verse nine, oh, most high of my father, Abram, and of my father, Isaac, who said to me, return to your country and to your family, and I will deal well with you. So you commanded me to come back to my family. So the source is in family because the family had land. And if you're going to be the progenitor and set up a nation, you have to have land. So he was walking according to what the Most High made in the beginning. So if he stays in the ways of the Most High, if the Most High spoke that in the beginning and you go outside of it, you're going to catch a lot of hell. But if you walk in covenant, then he can restore the years. He can restore the way things are supposed to be and begin to fight on your behalf. And that's what we're doing now. And we're waiting on the Most High. We're trusting in him to begin to realign the world, realign the nations. And this blueprint, this powerful word that has been given to us, to our ancestors is being revealed to us in real time. And the Most High is the only one who could reveal it by his spirit. As our savior said, he said, the spirit will lead you into all truth because many will say, many are going to flip the scriptures. They're going to do this and do that. But if you tap into where I am, I will supersede that. And I will come and speak with you. He said, I don't do anything unless I reveal it first to my prophets. That's in Jeremiah chapter 33. So when we walk in alignment with the ways of the Most High, he will lead and guide us no matter what the physical environment looks like. We can rest assured that he will protect us and keep us 
if we walk in obedience to him. Verse 10, I am not worthy of least of all your mercies and of all your truth you have shown to your servant. For I have crossed over the Jordan with my staff and now I have become two companies. Once again, he's putting that in front of the Most High because the Most High opens his eyes to see the angelic host. So he kept saying, look, there's two companies. I've broken it here on the, in the physical realm as it is in the heavens, as you have shown me. So I need you to deliver me from the hand of my brother, for I fear him lest he comes and attack me and the mother of my children. For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the seashore, which cannot be numbered for a multitude. So he's just reminding the Most High on everything that he had done, what he called him to do. And that's the power. The power is in prayer. Scriptures share with us as Paul was trying to teach us during the beginning of the Greco-Roman Empire. He said, that the weapons, and this is when he was in Corinth in First or Second Corinthians chapter 10, he said the weapons of our warfare, the weapons that we war with are not carnal. They're not missiles. They're not guns, but they're mighty through spirit to pulling down of strongholds is thought processes. How did we tap into that? How do we know that that's true? How do we know that works? Martin Luther King was one good example of a person, although in a form of captivity, he was able to, by word, even Marcus Garvey, by word. And who were they? They were preachers. They were teachers. They believed in this ancestral documentation and moved in it. And what did he do? Through the power of the word was able to open and birth civil rights because he knew the power of the word that was in his DNA structure that was connected to the word that the Most High was able to move through natural resources through the power of the word because the word is first. The Most High speaks, then it happens. We speak and say, hey, we're going to make a bomb. Hey, we're going to make a nuclear. Those are words that are spoken, then it manifests into the physical. So when you start, he said, the weapons is in the spirit. What you say, what you speak, how you speak. When a word is spoken to another nation, hey, we're going to come and do this, or we're going to come and do that. Or they find intelligence, as they call it. The, the different organizations, whether the CIA or the different information that's passed around among the nations of what secret intelligence and da, da 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 all that is still word word is first understand that when you about to fight somebody even a young child your mama would you say word then it goes into a physical fight then it goes into what you do to this why'd you do this to me oh you do it's word first so the most high is teaching us a principle of how things work or the seed is the word when you sow the word what did our savior say the word is sown. The sower went to sow seed. The seed is the word and it falls on different types of ground. Stony, dry, thorny, good. So there's only one good type of land and that's what Jacob was trying to get to is to the good land. And he knew that he had to go through these thorny obstacles to get there. And we all have to go through thorny obstacles to get to the promised land because we are all in a fallen state. And when we keep making the fallen decisions, it, it, it opens the door for the, the, the flow of the ramification or the flow of residuals or karma or back to back or cause and effect, all these things impact us for generations. So when you find yourself in a captivity, you find yourself in, in discrimination, you find yourself in marginalization, you find yourself without any money, any cash, any resources in the ghetto, in the slums, in a debt. Whatever term you want to use, those are all the reoccurrence of a snowball effect that has transpired. And once you overstand that and you begin to take the steps in the right direction, the most I can move on your behalf. 
So he he tapped it all the way back to the forefathers to say, hey, I'm supposed to be a multitude of the sand of the seashore that you told to my forefather Abram. So he went past in the spirit, all that was physically in front of him and tapped into there. And the Most High was able to hear that. And the angels were dispatched as a result of him being aware of those realities. So we speak that even for us as a people that the Most High will rebuild. He will restore. So in verse 13, it says he lodged there that same night and he took what came to his hand and presented it to Esau. Now in verse 14, this is what he brought to Esau. And this is very powerful. I did a little bit of background to get a, 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 an idea of how much how much resources was given to honor Esau and to dead the situation. So just imagine you're in the wilderness with your family. There's several of you and you're very powerful as well. You have to remember his sons just destroyed nations and they all had this power that the most I had given them because of the covenant he made with their fathers. Abram was a warrior. He could fight. All these guys were warriors. These were not weak people, just shepherders. They were warriors who took care of the land and lived off the land like we do today. The nations, whether it be America, who has the biggest or the strongest army, they still can't operate if they don't have the land because those planes, those bombs, those nuclears, those whatever they have is still different forms of the land. It comes from the land. So we need to understand the importance of land it says now. He gave him 200 female goats. When I did the calculation, that's $160,000 USD. 20 male goats, 60,000. 200 uh, sheep, 60,000. 20 rams, 6,000. 30 milk camels. Yes, camels do provide milk. And I looked that up and that was worth $600,000 worth of camel. So you have to understand how the Most High blessed him with Laban. You see the type of resources this man had that was very beautiful and it was most expensive and valued because of the desert and the great travel. They had to travel through very barren land. So they needed animals that can retain and sustain. So when you go into the Middle East, when you go into those dry areas, the deserts or Arab lands, as we have today, you'll see a lot of camels and things of that nature. Those camels are very valuable because of what they can do. They can travel through those intense areas they can they can move in those spaces and they carry resources as well. So they not only keep your bulk, keep your clothing, so forth and so on. They do that. So that was six hundred thousand dollars. Then he had coats. So that was probably easily worth a million just in itself. So I'm giving you just a rough estimate of about how much money he was making. He gave him 40 cows, which is about one hundred twenty thousand. Ten bulls, about one hundred thousand. Twenty female donkeys, forty thousand and ten foals which was about 15,000. So the estimated amount of money and resources that he had gave him is over a million dollars. This is Jacob. So then he delivered in verse 16, then he delivered them to the hand of his servants they, and everyone drove by itself and the servants passed over before him some distance between the successive droves. So he pushed out and said, I command that the first one saying, my brother Esau meets you, say to him, to whom do you belong? Tell him who I am. I'm from your servant and I want to give you this gift. So he sent out those servants again, just so that he could create that barrier and know how to maneuver just in case his brother wasn't going to be very favorable to him. He, he sent them way ahead of time so that he could get himself together. And then in verse 20, it says, behold, Jacob, your servant is behind us. This is the servants talking to Esau for he said, I will appease him. So verse 20 says, behold, your servant Jacob is behind us for he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. 
and afterward I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So Jacob is looking for acceptance. He wants peace because he knows Esau is a different type of beast and he has 400 of his men. Oh, he gonna wipe all of us out. We, we won't be able to handle Esau because of the energy and the power and the blessing that was given to him as well. Because remember, he said, by the sword, you will rule and you will win. So he understood that principle and he did not want to be the <laughs> fulfillment of prophecy on his family. So he was trying to make amends. So just imagine you had a beef with somebody, beef with a different crew, beef with a different family member, a different nation. And they're like, hey, I'm giving a million dollars. I'm sustaining you. I don't want no more problems. The most high touched that. And then time had passed. And when you grow in time, you learn to forgive. You learn to move on. And we're seeing something really beautiful happen, but he had to reconcile with his brother. And some of the things in our lives will not move forward until we reconcile with certain people in our lives, i.e. in our family. Not in all cases, but in most cases, you have to get that under control because that's a part of your own soul that needs to be free. Holding on forgiveness, bitterness, it only harms you and hinders you from the fullness of where you need to be. And I've experienced that in my own life. Anytime I've had pain, hurt that has been done years ago or people that I was close with at one point and they did something that hurt me or I perceived to be betrayal or whatever the case may be, you have to come to peace with that and you have to forgive them inwardly first. And then if you have, sometimes the most high would say, no, you need to physically go to that person and do A, B, C, and D. So at that point, when Jacob sent out a million dollars plus worth of resources to go meet his brother, you had now a situation where he was dealing with some internal work and he began to wrestle, find himself before he would come into his fullness. So in verse 22, talks about how he was wrestling with himself, wrestling with the Most High says, and he arose that night and took his two wives and his two female servants and his 11 sons and crossed over the ford of Jabbok, which means emptiness. Jabbok means emptiness. This is the place where he was going to have to empty his soul. So the Most High in our processes, as he's bringing us to our fulfillment, to our destiny, to our promise, he has to prune us. What did our Savior say in John 15? Every tree that beareth fruit in me must be pruned. We need to be pruned. We need to be set apart. He has to cleanse us. He has to break us. He has to break those areas that can't go into your new season. You can't take old wineskins or old mindsets into a new environment, into a new space. So that's why the Most High takes us through these times of breaking and healing. So this is what was happening in Jacob. And then in verse 24, it says, then Jacob was left alone and wrestled. He was in a, in a space where he's in warfare amongst himself, dealing with his own, as we would say, demons or dealing with his own brokenness, because all of us have that in our soul. We all have broken portions of our being, our soul, the immature portions of our soul, even at 50, 60, 70, 80 years old, if not dealt with, can have immature parts of your soul, the childlike portions of your soul. That needs to be dealt with that needs to be healed in order for you to become the fullness of what the most high has so he was wrestling with the most high as you can see there and then in verse 28 it says your name shall no longer be called akobi or jacob but now it shall be called a nation akobi your name will now be called israel now with the different types of translations and the different types of people groups and such who have had access to the scrolls that interpretation is questionable in one way or another from my point of view but 
for the sake of the text, we're not getting into semantics or into the hermeneutics at the moment, but we are going to continue to move forward. So your name shall be called Israel. You are a nation builder. How many of us as men are becoming nation builders or are we only concerned about ourselves? If you're going to become a nation builder, the Most High has to prune you so that you have the capacity to handle what it means to build a nation, build your family. And remember your children, everything that you have has the potential to be a nation, to be a powerhouse, to be a reflection of the Most High's glory. You align back to the same promise that was given to Abraham to the sands of the seashore. I was reading in an article that the population actually exceeded. It has grown. It hasn't depopulated. Although the nations are trying at the most high is letting us know he's in control and it exceeded. It grew. So we are thankful for the way the most high is moving and we don't walk by the flesh. We walk according to the spirit. And then we see in verse 30. So Jacob called the name of that place. Once again, every time he encountered the most high, anytime he encountered a spiritual space, he sealed it in the physical environment. That is Jacob's thing. And I love it because everything that happens, he seals it so that whenever you go through there, you know that the most high has been here. Something has happened significant here. And it's a road mark. It's a landmark. It's a fingerprint. It's a place that the ancestors have left behind to let us know that the most high visited us. And we will see these names pop up throughout the history of the firstborn as we move throughout the scriptures. So it says the name of this place was called Peniel, which meant facing the most high. This is where he, he was able to encounter the most high on a level that was now solidifying who he was. And for I have seen the face, I have seen the most high's face and my life was preserved. He had encountered the spiritual spaces and understood and, and was able to maintain his physical appearance and not be vaporized. So it's a very beautiful thing. And he wanted to keep that. And you see the scripture says that even in his physical body, he had an element that to this day is recognized because of this encounter he had. So now we come to chapter 33 and Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, Esau came. So he already had the encounter with the most high. He's in a different space now. He's a nation builder. So he was no longer in as much fear because he already seen the most high. And if I seen the most high, who is Esau? Esau can't do nothing to me. So that's the important thing. We need to get in the face of the Most High, get in his presence so you get to know him and he reveals himself to you. So then you have no fear of your enemies. We have no fear of our foes because the Most High is with us and he is greater than all things that has been created in this physical environment. Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, Esau came with 400 of his men and Jacob divided, or Akobi divided the children unto Leah, unto Rachel, and to his handmaid servants. So you're seeing the succession. Leah, which is his first wife, the firstborn, who had six of his children. Rachel, who had Joseph, one child at the time. And then unto his two handmaidens, which was Bila and Zilpah, who had Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. So that's the pedigree we were talking about, and that's the division, and that's how he, he set it up. Once again, setting the rank. He was always in alignment. Everything was in alignment. Them first, second, th so that in course of time, in course of how it happened, everything as it was, as the Most High presented it to him, so is it on the earth, so that he was in alignment with heaven in that two-camp format that the Most High gave him. 
Then he passed over them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. So you just see him bowing to show humility like, hey, I'm there. And Esau ran up to him, embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And they wept. They cried. They cried because they knew what that meant. And he lifted up his eyes and saw the women and the children. And who are these? He said, these are the children that the Most High has given me. And the handmaidens came near and their children and they bowed themselves. And then Leah and their children came near and bowed themselves. And they came after Joseph near to Rachel and they bowed themselves. So everybody came and they were able to meet their uncle, the great Esau. And you had that whole situation go down. And then in verse 14, it says, let my Lord, I pray, pass before me and lead on softly according as the cattle that goeth before me and the children are able to endure until I come to my Lord and seer. And Esau said, let me now leave with thee some of the folk that are with me and whatever you need, I'll take care of them. So Esau wanted to roll. He said, no, you go ahead and my family, we, we move slow. You know, I got the women and the children and stuff. So y'all go ahead and then I'll catch up with y'all. So Jacob was still like, I don't know if he might in the middle of the heat turn crazy and be like no i'm gonna destroy you because you did this and this to me he said all right we made peace you go ahead i'm gonna catch up with y'all man yeah i'm gonna go ahead and <laughs> get up with y'all so i understand how jacob moving i think that was a smart move so then you have in verse 18 and jacob came to salem the city of shechem which is in the land of canaan when he had came from Padan Aram and pitched his tent before the city and he bought a parcel of a field where he had spread his tent at the hand of the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for a hundred pieces of money. And there he erected an altar and called it Eloi Israel, or Eloi firstborn. This is the beginning of the firstborn. That name, Eloi Israel, means the Most High and the land or the people. It's a connection. He, he connected the Most High to the people. He said, we are your people. Remember the prayer that he gave, he said, if you will be with me and bring me back to the land, you will be my God and I will be your. So he's solidifying that as he comes into the land of Canaan, which was promised, remember from Noah all the way down to what he told Abram, I'll give you the land of the Canaanites. And now he's in that land and positioning himself for what the Most High is going to do to fulfill his promise that was given to him through his bloodline, through his lineage. So we move on now to chapter 34 and in chapter 34, we see some drama go down because he's among the Canaanites and the Canaanites were people of Shechem. And now you have to remember, if we go back to the bloodline chart in Genesis chapter 10, Canaan was the son of Ham as it's translated, but the scriptures would point closer to and what we see in reality that it was Japheth, that Japheth and Shem would dwell in the same house that's Genesis chapter 9 verse 27. But the translation, which I feel is a mistranslation, has it as Ham. But we'll leave it at Ham for now. So Ham, Canaan, was his last son. Remember we talked about that last son. Because Laban was from the bloodline of the last son in Shem. And you have Aram. You have some issues there. Every time you get to the last seed, in most cases, and I think you see that amongst us in today's time, where the younger child is usually extreme. The parents were more lenient with the younger child, so they weren't as disciplined or they're more spoiled or whatever, how you want to look at that, or they're a little bit more emotional or a little bit more connected. So it really just depends. It's not a good or bad thing, but it's usually very extreme in one sort of space than the other. 
in most cases. This is not for everybody, but we're seeing in Canaan being the last lead seed that his seed line were doing some things that were contrary. And this is where things went back to the drama. So they're getting settled again. You have Jacob now settling himself in Shechem, trying to get himself together, establish what the Most High had promised, get his family together. And Dinah, his daughter, which was the last child of Leah, was amongst the people of Shechem, which was the Hivites. And Shechem had a, uh, the son of Hamor, the prince of that country, saw her and took her, laid with her and defiled her. He defiled her because he wasn't from the same seed line. And in most cases, they say it was a rape. So once that went down, you got drama coming because now Shechem, after he had done this, the father, Hamor, came and tried to reason with Jacob and say, hey, you've been living here. What my son did was not right. It's not cool. We want to make amends. How about we start trading? How about we start mixing? How about we start being together? But Jacob understood and his family understood that we're not supposed to be mixing with y'all. Y'all are different type of people than we are and your customs are different. You follow different gods than we do. You have different ways of being. And in that time period, people didn't mix. They didn't mix with each other. Now in America, that's a little bit more of a practice that is more widely accepted or done. And, and I will say throughout the earth, people have been mixing for a long time. So I'm not just saying here in America, but people have been mixing for a long time. But as a result of that, it does bring certain complications in one way or another due to those types of mixing. I remember even in my own life when I was dating a young lady and this was earlier on in my college life and we were really close and considering to think about doing marriage and her parents told me, well, you got to think about it. Your children are going to suffer because you guys are from two different races. And I thought about it and said, hmm, they have a point. I didn't even fully understand the scriptures from that standpoint. So that principle resonated with me and we were able to decide not to get married, but we were friends into this day. But that principle stands as a testament to the way the Most High created certain people groups that he wants to preserve them within their lineage and in their line. And remember, these are still Afro peoples. So even amongst the Afro peoples, there were certain restrictions placed amongst them to not mix with certain people for various reasons that were more spiritual, cultural, and philosophical, more so than physical. Because even when you mix physically, there's different types of um, things that can happen when races mix. So this principle here is what was violated and they're trying to rectify it as we come into Genesis chapter 34. And Hamor, verse eight, and Hamor communed with them and saying, the soul of my son Shechem longeth for your daughter. I pray you give her to be his wife and make ye marriages with us and we'll give your daughters unto us and take your daughters unto you. And ye shall dwell with us and the land shall be before you. Dwell and trade possessions, we move together. And Shechem said unto his father and to his brethren, if I found grace in your sight, please let me have her. Ask me never so much a dowry, a gift, and I will give it according to all that you ask. There go the dowry system in verse 12. And the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Homor, his father deceitfully and said, because you've defiled my daughter, this is what was in their mind. We cannot do such a thing. 
we're not giving our our daughter over to you who are uncircumcised. That will be an, a, a reproach to us, meaning that will be a problem for us moving forward because we're going against the covenants that the Most High given to our forefathers. So they understood the ways of the Most High and you uncircumcised forced my daughter and raped her and defiled her. We can't do that. We're not down with that. But they played them and said, hey, look, all right, if you really want to be like us, y'all need to get circumcised. Y'all need to get circumcised. And then we'll see and we'll, we'll be able to, you know, move with y'all because at least you're in covenant with us and we can we can figure it out. So they said, all right, cool. We'll we'll, we'll do that. We'll 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 make sure they get circumcised. So in verse 24 it says, and Hamar and unto Shechem, his sons, hearkened to all that went out of the gate of the city. Every man was every male was circumcised. All that went out of the gate of the city. And it came to pass on the third day when they were sore that the two sons of Jacob. Remember, these are the two sons. This is the second and the third born of Leah. Because remember, Leah was the one who had Dinah. That was their last child. You see the sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and Simon, Levi, and Judah, and Issachar, and Zebulun. Six sons, and Dinah was the seventh. So the brothers was hot. Simon and Levi said, let's, let's run it. So they went there, took the sword, and killed everybody in the city. Because they were like, y'all played us. They took Dana, said, come on, girl, we out. And the sons of Jacob came upon the slain and spoiled the city because they had defiled their sister. Look how much they loved their nation and they were not going to let their princess be defiled. Do we defend the women like that? Are we going to protect our women like our ancestral documentation says? Or do we now, are we so broken now that we treat our women like nothing? Treat them like objects. We speak ill of them. We do all kind of things. And I'm, I was guilty of it. I, I pushed it when I was working in the music business. So I, I am not guiltless in these atrocities, but thankfully the most high has opened my mind and all of us love our mama. All of us love our sisters. We'll do anything to fight for them. You, I'm going to go get my brothers. Everybody grew up in those neighborhoods where the woman, you mess with a girl and she says she got brothers. You're like, oh, she got brothers or she got uncles or she got this. Wait till my brother get out or wait. You, this is that. This is that ancestral replication being shown in the seed lines all the way to now. All of us who are spread throughout the diaspora, those who are on the continent, you're going to defend and love your own because of these promises. This is where it stems from. This is how it came about. So once we understand that, that it was a covenant that was made and that the virginity and the procreator, the woman, the womb is a sacred thing. I know right now we don't put much value in it because of the way the society has conditioned us. The sacredness of the womb to continue life, the procreation of what the Most High commanded, which was to be fruitful and multiply. The fact that we can continue to do that is a beautiful thing and we need to protect that at all costs. They took their sheep, their ox and their asses and just bounced on them, took all their wealth, their little ones. They took their women captives. They just tore the whole place up. And Jacob said, Simon and Levi. And remember, Levi was a priest. Well, he was the beginning of the priesthood because he was the connector and he wasn't going to allow his sisters to be tormented. So you had a little bit of that energy of Denmark Vesey and a little bit of that energy of these other abolitionists and forefathers during the enslavement times who fought Harriet Tubman energy, that Nat Turner type of energy. But remember, it's not just in the physical 
but it was a spiritual principle that was being violated. It was a cultural principle that was being violated. So for us to just fight for freedom and all these different things is understood, but the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're mighty through the most high to the pulling down of strongholds. So if you are in alignment with the spiritual, an alignment with principle, as you see here with Levi and Simeon, did they maneuver the best way possible? No. Could they have done it a little bit differently? Absolutely. But it is what it is. And that's what happened. And they were taking vengeance on what had happened to their sister. And they weren't going to just allow this thing to just go without being because they understood how much was on the line from a spiritual and from a national standpoint. So it is really important to understand that what our ancestors did, even all the way up until, as I shared earlier with the abolitionists, their motivation was for freedom. Their motivation was righteous. It wasn't for greed. It wasn't for any of those other things. It was for righteousness. And the success is not necessarily in the, the outcome, but it's in tapping into the most highs or the creator's way, which is justice. Justice was what was being done in this particular case. And though they were blindsided in the way they approached it, what they did was understood. So now this has happened and Jacob is like, oh man, you put me in a tough situation now. Look what you've done. And Jacob said in verse 30 to Simon and Levi, you have troubled me and have made me to stink among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And I'm only few in number. They will gather themselves together against me and will begin to slay me and destroy all of us for what we've done. How could you have done this? And then they said their defense was, should he deal with our sister as a harlot? So you're seeing how they're talking to their father like, Yo, you ain't, they're not going to do that to my sister. We acted righteously. And that was what was driving them. So the Most High said to Jacob, arise, go back to Bethel. What is that? That's a point, a point of where he was with him in the beginning. Always go back to those places of prayer. Go back to those situations. Go back to that location where the Most High spoke to you so that you can hear him again. And he said unto Jacob, arise and go to Bethel and dwell there and make an altar unto me. And the same place where you went when you fled from your brother Esau. So they were in flight mode. And when you're in flight mode, he said, go back to the place where you were when you first left your brother. So you're seeing this is internal fighting going on, whether it be the Canaanites, the Perizzites, these are still on the continent. This is still Afro peoples. These are the wars that are happening in our land. Just like there's so many wars that happen amongst all people groups, as you see among the, um, the Asian community, Japan, Korea, China, all the, the they're all from the same stem, from the same group. As we see in nature, I always use my example, the cat, puma, tiger, cheetah, but they're all cats. Same thing. Just like Afro peoples. You have Bantu, you have Congo, you have all the different people groups, the different tribes, but all from the same root. And that's what we need to understand as we come out of these dark ages. Just as it happened in European lands where they realized, hey, we can continue to kill each other, but we have to set some sort of structure so that we maintain ourselves as a whole. So you could be French, you can be Scandinavian, you can be Germanic, you can be whatever European uh, descent. But they came here and they were able to unify, thus called the United States. And you see the power that has been able to be manifested when you are united in one thought and one heart, even though you have differences. 
Democrat, Republican, they're still united, they're still one, they're still the same people. So the same thing has to happen amongst us as a people. We have to unite because we are at this point killing each other. And this has been happening for many generations. So this is not the first time, but the difference is we're not in our lands, we're in other, someone else's land, so we have no safety. So that's why we're vulnerable, but the most high, because the promises he made to our forefathers has still sustained us through all of that has happened. Reconstruction, lynching, slavery, demoralization, drugs, all the things that have happened to our community out here in the diaspora, in the Western parts of the world, the most high still sustained us and has kept us. Then Jacob verse two said to his household and to all that were with him, put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean. Change your garments. Oh man, he was getting them ready to meet with the most high. And he said, we've been traveling. We've been mixing with these people. We've done all kinds of things. We need to get rid of these gods. When we left from Laban, Rachel had taken some gods. So he knew things were in his camp that he didn't fully know about. But he knew, hey, when we get back to the presence of the Most High, where he came and dwelt with me, where he saw the angels ascending and descending, and he knew that was a spiritual portal place. Oh, we better get it right. And, and you'll see later on when Moshe came along or Moses comes along, when he sets up the tabernacle, that the priest, which was from the line of Levi, could not go into the Holy of Holies without being cleansed and going through a certain level of clarification and sanctification and consecration. And that's what the Most High is getting us ready for. He's cleansing us so that we can be able to dwell in his presence, be able to experience his glory when he's breaking those areas of our lives that are contrary as an individual, then as a people. So he said, put away your strange gods and let us arise and go up to Bethel and I will make an altar to the Most High who answered me in the day of my distress when in the way which I went. So you have to remember where the Most High visited you. And I remember even when I was living in Missouri, when the Most High would come and visit me. And I'm reminded of those times as I'm preparing in my own heart and life for this next level and phase that the Most High is bringing us to. So he said, let us arise and go to Bethel. In verse four, and they gave unto Akobi or Jacob all of the strange gods small g, which were in their hand, all their earrings, which they were in their ears, strange gods, anything you worship, materialism, those become gods, gods of gold. Remember when the, when Moshe went into, into the mountains, what did they do? They began to worship the golden calf. They began to worship materialism. What are we doing in our nations today? Worshiping materialism. The, the fallen understand that and the nations know that. If, if we would not worship the Most High, not focus on the creator who created every single thing, we will always be in disarray. We will always be broken. So that was the setup that they put there. And, and it says there that they gave to Akobi or Jacob all their strange gods, which was in their hand, their earrings, which were in their ears. And Akobi or Jacob hid them in the oak tree, which was by Shechem. So he left it in that land. We are leaving all our trash behind in this land and moving forward. And sometimes you got to do that. When you're moving forward in your life, you don't want to take that old stuff with you. And sometimes that means physical things. It's almost like when a person gets out of a relationship and they wore clothes that the person gave them or jewelry. What do they do? They sell it. They get rid of it. They pawn it. They burn it. They do whatever. It's the same principle because there's an attachment to it. And that attachment can cause a lot of uh it can be a pathway spiritually for demonic or negative energy to come in and, and stay there. That's why people do a lot of 
sages and things like that to cleanse areas. But those things are not necessarily the pathway for us as children of the Most High. We can do the cleanse through our words and through what the Most High has given us. And they journeyed and the terror of the Most High was upon the cities that were around about them and they did not pursue after the sons of. So the Most High went ahead of them and was able to hit the consciousness of people. And they journeyed in verse six. And Jacob came to Luz, which is a land in Canaan that is Bethel all. So he's still in the land of Canaan, but he was moving to a different location. And he had all his people with him and he built an altar there and called the place El Bethel because the Most High appeared unto him when he fled from his brother. But Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried in Bethel under the oak, and the name of the place was called Alon Bakuth. So there was a death as well. And the Most High appeared again to Jacob when he came out of Potterah and blessed him. And the Most High said unto Akobi, You are now called Israel. And the Most High said, I am the Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. Every time the Most High comes and he's coming to bless us what does he does he comes with fruit like he did with noah be fruitful and multiply he said to adam be fruitful and multiply he comes to jacob he visits him again be fruitful and multiply a nation and a company of nations shall be of thee and kings shall come out of thy loins saying out of you out of your seed i will bless and i will cause kingdoms to come from it this is verse 11 and in verse 12, and the land which I gave Abram and Isaac to thee, will I give it into thy seed, will I give the land. Most High comes with multiple fruit and land. That's what it's all about, friends. At the end of the day, land and the Most High's blessing, fruitfulness, multiplying his glory, his image in the earth realm as it is in the heavens. And Jacob set a pillar there where he talked a pillar of stone and poured a drink offering upon it and the oil there. And Jacob called the place Bethel again. Well, he remembered that it was at Bethel. And they journeyed from Bethel and there was a little way to Ephrath and Rachel traveled and she was in hard labor. So now Rachel was pregnant. And it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said to her, Fear not, for thou shalt have this son also. And it came to pass, verse 18, as her soul was departing, she died. And she called his name Benanim, but his father called him Benjamin. And Rachel died and was buried in the way to Eprath, which is Bethlehem. And we know later on the Savior came out of Bethlehem. So you see that reverberation throughout time. But Rachel ended up dying. Her second son, Benjamin or Benanim, she was going through so much pain, means son of my sorrow. She was naming him a sorrowful son, which was her last son. But Jacob stepped in and said, no, his name is called Benjamin, which means son of the right hand, corrected it, set a better course for his last son, Benjamin, so that it wasn't sorrow. It was what the Most High said, King Benjamin would be a king. And what do we see? Saul, the first king of, of Israel or the first king of the firstborn, as we see later on in the book of Samuel, was Saul was from the line of Benjamin. So look at the power of the word of a father to the child and how that child's seed became the actual king of their nation who ended up serving other gods and doing contrary because what? He came from Benjamin 
And Benjamin came from Rachel. And what did Rachel do? Rachel stole the gods. And what did Jacob say? Anyone who has stolen your gods, Laban, this is in chapter 32, let him die. And we see here, hard labor, death. These are things we should be thinking about. We should be seeing how the correlation and how everything, as we say, has a reason and a season and a time. And the Most High is beginning to show us how these things transpire. But her, her life was not in vain. She ended up losing her life, but her life was not in vain. The Most High still was going to fulfill his promise, but she wasn't able to go on further. And that was a hard thing for Jacob because he loved her so much. And for her to pass away during this time in his life, it was very difficult for him. So Jacob set a pillar upon her grave. This is verse 20. That is the pillar of Rachel's grave unto this day. And, and Akobi or Israel journeyed and spread his tent beyond the tower of Edar. And it came to pass when Akobi dwelt in the land that Reuben went and laid with Billah, his father's concubine. And Jacob heard it or Israel, Akobi heard it. And now Reuben was his firstborn and he ended up sleeping with one of his stepmothers. And he did that out of defilement. We don't know all of the deep details of it, but Reuben was upset, possibly because of the way his mom was treated. Rachel was dead. And look how he acting. I'm about to move in on this situation. And it was a very horrible thing that happened. And so you have the layout in the last chapter of 35 of the different children. Rachel had Joseph and Benjamin. She passes. Billa had Dan and Naphtali. And that was the one that Reuben, the firstborn, slept with to defile his dad. And Zilpah, Leah's maidservant, which he didn't sleep with her because that's Leah's handmaiden. So you see he slept with Rachel's handmaiden. So he, there was a right, a big animosity amongst the family members. And he was hot how Jacob was moving and, and defiled him by sleeping with his concubine or sleeping with his handmaiden under Rachel's side. So it was just a lot of craziness going on in the family and it says in verse 27 Jacob came to Isaac his father who was in Mamre and we know that Mamre is in South Africa in Cape Town in that area so he went to Mamre unto the city of Arba which is Hebron where Abram and Isaac sojourned so now he tapped all the way back to where his father was while his father was still alive to reconnect with him and then Isaac ended up passing away. So Jacob was able to go full circle, touch back to the lands, understand that, be with his father, close that chapter. Esau came, they closed that chapter, and they're able to move on. And we'll pick up more as we continue to re-establish in these years of the return as the Most High is coming in to teach us his ways and show us the pathways of our ancestors and the principles that they live by, the spiritual concepts and and the understanding and the overstanding that we need to tap back into to get back into alignment with the promises he gave, which is to be fruitful, multiply, and to have land and to show forth his glory. We will pick this up next time.